0: Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Drunk, boy, but, uh, oh, wow, drunk wow, Bible wow. Study.
1: Drunk Bible <laughs> Study. Boy, oh boy. Drunk Bible Study.
2: Boy, boy. Merchus, merchus. You can tell that we record these
0: bonuses after we've done a whole episode already. So, <laughs> yeah. boy, oh boy. <laughs>
2: and that means after we have drunk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Welcome to this episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. <laughs> Uh, So, we just started the Book of Ezra, which is super exciting for a number of reasons. It is my godson's name, so I get to Mm -hmm. learn about who he's named after, so that's cool. Uh, Also, Ezra, as it turns out, is a big deal. Really? I just learned this while researching Ezra for this bonus.
2: You wouldn't know that because he wasn't even in the first (laughs) four chapters that we read today, (laughs) but sure.
0: Yeah, he's not even mentioned, so no. exactly. But he's no. apparently a really big deal in like the history of Judaism, actually. Cool.
2: Wow, okay.
0: Yeah, so I looked up some stuff to talk about that. And then Emily, you looked up some things about this new the Derek. cool currency that we have. Derek, The Derek, yes. The Derek. Uh And then Dedeker, you looked up Urim and Thummim in-,
1: in... Within Mormonism, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay,
0: cool. Love it. Whee. Love it. Uh, okay. All right. I'm going to start us off with some some history kind of stuff here. So Ezra was also known as Ezra the Scribe or Ezra the Priest. Mm. And he was a, a, a cool guy. Like I said, I'll get into kind of some of his... His uh, important contributions to the world of Judaism. Uh, but I'll start off with his name because this sometimes comes up on quizzes. So this is good to know.
1: Oh, yeah, that's good.
0: Oh. Yeah. His name may be an abbreviation of Azariahu, which means Yah helps. Ooh. Okay. Okay.
2: So Yahweh's helping him
0: out? Might be helping him out. Yes. Cool. And then. In the Greek, Septuagint, his name is rendered as Edras. Mm. And then that's where we get Ezra from is like a Latinization maybe and then a later Anglicization of the name.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, anyway, so so yeah. So like we talked about, it's, it's about reestablishing the temple, but also one of Ezra's big contributions, and we'll get this more later, so I don't want to kind of get too into it because we will eventually read about it in this book. Mm -hmm. He will eventually show up in his own book. But basically kind of establishing, we've all been kind of scattered to the winds. Practicing our religion has been forbidden for a lot of us in different places, and it's changed over time. Uh, But but we're going to reestablish it. We're going to rebuild this temple. And we're also going to kind of reestablish what are the feasts that we do, how do we practice this? How often do we pray? How do we pray? Who's allowed to pray? Who's allowed to be a priest? Kind of all the like re establishing the rules, a lot of which are still the rules today in modern
1: Judaism. Mm. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, wow.
0: So that's what I mean about Ezra being a big deal. He kind of established a lot of this, which is pretty interesting.
1: Okay. So this is like the big, a big reset. As it were. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. We're kind of starting this new second temple chapter. Fun. Of.
2: Okay. Of Whoa. things.
0: Yeah. Exactly. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Really. So to kind of look at the the timeline here of what we're talking about is so we started around so 539 BC is the fall of Babylon
2: mm-hmm.
0: and Cyrus. You know, Cyrus was king before that, but 539 is when he conquers Babylon and directs them to go home and rebuild their temple. Okay. And then we have, so this is like the the real life timeline. So not just what we read in the book, right? But so Cyrus II, Cyrus the Great, conquers them, says, go rebuild your temple. You guys are cool. Yeah. And then he dies. And we have a new king who is King Cambyses. Cambyses. Not sure how you say that who rules for just eight years from 530 to 522 and uh, conquers Egypt. So check that off.
2: Wow.
0: Uh, yeah. And then we have Darius I, who ruled from 522 to 486. So quite a while. And he fails to invade Greece. So that's fun. Mm. And then we have Xerxes. And then we have Artaxerxes Xerxes I, who may be the one that we... Wrote a letter to wrote
1: the whole letter to, yes, oh yeah. yes yes, but
0: then there's a Darius the second, and then there's a Artaxerxes the second crying,
1: oh dear,
0: and there is some debate amongst the historical peoples is about which artaxerxes it was that it was written to was it the first or the second, which basically means was it like mid fourth century or was it late 4th century even into the 3rd century.
1: Hmm, so goodness.
0: A little bit unclear on on which of those. Uh, another fun little piece of trivia here is that this traditionally was all written on one scroll together with the book of Nehemiah.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: So this a was twofer. Yeah, it was the book of Ezra Nehemiah. And so they they were both one one book. I wonder when and why they decided
2: to split them up.
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh. So- <laughs> Uh, So basically what happened is that in the late medieval times, in Christian Bibles, they split it up into two, which they called first and second Ezra still.
2: Hmm. Uh, Interesting.
0: And then the Jewish practice adopted that of splitting them up into two different books, but they called them Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay. So basically there's Ezra, And then there's Nehemiah, who's another leader around this same time. And again, because it's like, which kings were they actually alive during? There's some debate about how much they overlapped. Were they the same age? Did they overlap a little? Um, But apparently later in Nehemiah, it's mentioned that like Ezra is also doing something in Nehemiah. So the idea is they probably lived at the same time and were both kind of leaders around the same time.
1: Wow. Cool.
0: Yeah. They're buds. Thought that was pretty cool. Now, here's where it gets really wild. So, there is a theory, not a super widely held theory, but there's a theory that Ezra is actually the one who wrote the Torah. Like the whole Torah thing? The whole Torah. Wow. Which most scholars are like, no, but he may have been the (laughs) one. No,
1: you're being ridiculous. But he
0: may have been the one who edited it. He may have been like the chief editor. Because if it makes sense, like they're coming back together, they're reestablishing their religion. Let's take these writings, let's compile what's real. Like, again, the same decisions that later got made in Christianity about what gets into our Bible, uh, that that Ezra might have been that guy in his time of like which of these writings end up in the Torah. Wow. So yeah, again, a really big deal. It's a really big deal. <laughs> uh, and he also set up a bunch of laws and and rules and things like that, which I think we'll get to later, so I'm not going to go into those now. Um, but kind of about like when you pray how often what women are allowed to do and not of do course. on certain Ooh, days you fun. know the classic that's fun i love it when stuff. i love it when
1: dudes get all up in that
0: yeah yeah
1: women you can't do this
2: thing on this day because i say so
0: yeah now dare I, I just you? i do want to read one of these to you because i really enjoyed this one and this is um okay. according to the talmud So I don't even know if we'll get to this in the book. I just don't want to spoil too much just in case we do. But in the Talmud, out of the 10 standing laws and orders which Ezra the scribe is said to have enacted, one of them is that Jewish women and or girls, as a precautionary measure, be accustomed to conversing with one another while one of their party goes out to relieve herself in the outhouse.
1: Okay, hold on. Let me think about this (laughs) for a second.
2: Wait, they need to be able to talk with one another?
0: That they should be accustomed to conversing with one another while one of their party goes out to relieve herself in the outhouse.
1: Okay, sorry. Hold on. I'm still trying is it so
2: they're keeping each other company.
1: They should be able to talk to the person who is using the outhouse, or as in when the person is using the outhouse, they should talk. It's like in Japan where like you can press a button to have fake water sounds so that no one has to listen to you. Making bathroom sounds, yeah, and so they should just keep talking. What like unclear
0: which it it's unclear which it is, and it's not elaborated here. It's
1: fascinating. We had to write it down. Yeah,
0: so I mean, there's other stuff about like what men need to do after they have a seminal emission. Oh, Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of things here, but that one was the one I was most scratching my head.
2: Do women get to tell the men what they have to do after their seminal admission?
1: Of course Heavens not. no. Women <laughs> don't know anything. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that's what I got about Ezra for now. For now. There will probably be more later on, but Great. Uh, okay. he's a big deal.
2: All right, wow. Indeed. Okay, well, I'm going to talk to you about the Derek, which I didn't immediately realize is named after Darius the First. That makes sense.
1: Oh, it all makes sense.
2: Okay, I'm glad that I'm not the only one. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so it's essentially this monetary standard of the Persian Empire during the time. Now, Cyrus the Great, who was before Darius, also... Oh, I guess... Well, no, Cyrus the Great was kind of during Darius, it looks like. Some overlap? What does this say? Cyrus the Great, 550 to 530 BC, introduced coins to the Persian Empire after 546 BC, following its conquest of Lydia and the defeat of its king Croesus, who had put in place the first coinage in history. Oh, wow. So they did this, this Lydian coinage, essentially, during that time. Darius I was between 521 and four. 86 BC, right? Okay, so yeah, kind of overlapping, but then getting into past Cyrus, and Darius was the one who introduced this new thick gold coin, which had a standard weight thick. of That's eight a thick coin. It's a thick That's coin, a thick coin. <laughs> coin right there. Oh it had a weight of eight point four grams, and it basically equaled in value to twenty silver coins. So quite a lot more.
0: Yeah. Okay. Huh. This is a thick boy. Okay
2: and it's 95.83% gold. It's super gold. <laughs> and
1: it bore super it, gold. <laughs> super gold.
2: <laughs> and it bore the image of the Persian oh, king or a great oh, warrior oh. armed with a bow and arrow. So it also look, looked badass. Yes, what it, you're did. it does. I mean, I'm looking at it. It's cool. I mean, it is just kind of this kind of like gelatinous coiny. Like it doesn't have any <laughs> gelatinous. It, it's just it's like a thick. Coin. You mean amorphous? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not gelatinous because it is it is <laughs> it solid. Is hard, but, yeah. <laughs> but it just kind of looks like a blob of coin with something stamped on it. Okay. Okay. It's cool though. Still. I see. So
0: it's not nicely you know minted like we do today. No. Okay. Not- Not at
2: all. It's not particularly rounded. It's kind of ovular in shape. Ovular. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. I just want to point out that in, let's see, the book of Chronicles, which we're going to get to, is about Mm -hmm. King David. Quite soon. And it describes King David asking an assembly of people to donate for the construction of the temple And the people gave generously for the service, quote, for the service of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. Which this is, they're saying, is not not right. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
0: that's Hmm. right. That would have been way before derricks became a thing. Because this happened...
2: Way, way before, so it was probably a conversion by the writer into contemporary units. I see. Classic. Now, the mention of Derricks occurred in Ezra, and then also in Nehemiah three times. So, okay. all right, we have that yes. to look forward to. <laughs> I just want to point out that Derricks are still around and coin people oh. buy them. Oh, wow. And they're very expensive. That, I mean, yeah. Yes. One of the finest, I quote, one of the finest derricks to appear on the market in the last 20 years was bought for over $12,000. That's one derrick, $12,000. Wow. But a
0: well. Did that one looked like a blob, too? Or is mean, that like a nice, nicely formed one?
2: I guess it was well. Made, I don't know, but it, okay. but a well-worn example went for just four hundred and twenty-five dollars. So okay,
0: so we could pull our money okay. and we could buy right. a, a basic yeah. Derek.
2: We could buy a shitty a Derek. Derek.
0: <laughs> yes, a blobby, a shitty, Derek. <laughs> a shitty Derek. That's a good like punk band name. The shitty Derek? The the
2: shitty Derek. (laughs) (laughs) I think this might be showing me the really nice Derek. And yeah, like the actual like thing that's on the Derek. So it's Mm. this dude with a, a bow and arrow and he's got a crown on him. It, that inscription or, or thing that's on the derrick looks really nice.
0: Okay. But then yeah. there are
2: others where you can barely tell what the hell is going on. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like there's a little lump of old gold, maybe. Exactly. It's less exciting.
2: Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a lump of old gold and the gold <laughs> itself. Is only uh, it's the equivalent to a five dollar gold coin. So the oh. gold is equivalent. Well, the to The amount that. of gold, I correct? See. It's the just amount that you're of paying
1: gold. for the age and the history there. Yeah, okay. Absolutely,
2: okay. yeah. Hmm. And like I said, there's four types of derricks but basically no one knows where the first type is. So type two diabetes, three and <laughs> four. Sorry, no, <laughs> type two, three, and four are the ones that are actually sold at this point. Huh. So that's fun. Huh. Yes. Boy, and they continued to be one of those
0: type one derricks. I Woo.
2: know. Wow, you're going to be making a lot of money. Yes. Mm. And some derricks and rare double derricks continued to be struck under double Alexander. Double derricks. <laughs> yes. I don't know what that is, but they continued to be struck under Alexander the Great at Babylon for a short time after the fall of the Persian Empire.
0: Hmm. And see. Wow.
2: Yes. Wow. They're cool. Look them up. I, I need to put them on the Drunk Bible Study Fans and Fellowship because Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. This
2: coinweek.com dot com talks all about <laughs> it. It's pretty fun.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Are we ready to are we ready to talk about Some the Udim and the Thummim? Yeah.
0: I, oh, I'm so ready.
1: I'm ready. To Mormons. So, I wanna
0: like here's what I wanna know most. Was I right? Did I remember correctly?
1: Yes. Okay. You did remember correctly, but there's okay. a lot more to okay. it than okay, what you good. said in the episode. So let me just establish that, the, you know, the Udom and Thummim got named okay. up a lot in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And the best that we can guess is that they were probably some kind of divination tool that the priests used. It's unclear, is it in reference to the stones that were on their breastplate? -hmm. You know, the special in the special uniform that the priests wore. Mm -hmm. Was it stones in a bag, kind of like runes where they would just like grab them at random and, you know, that would indicate what God's will is or opinion is. So there's that. Then the Mormons come along. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Joseph Smith comes along. The Mormon. The Mormon. The Mormon. (laughs) The first Mormon. And super super quick Mormonism origin story one oh one Joseph Smith allegedly finds these buried golden plates in his backyard that he's directed to by an angel, and on these golden hmm. plates in is essentially written new York, right? yes in upstate New York is essentially written sort of an extension of the Bible some extra stories and based on this new text. That he discovered, he creates this new religious sect mm. that to this day is known as, you know, the Church of Latter Day Saints. So, basically, the way the story goes allegedly is that yeah, Joseph Smith found these golden plates, and that also, okay. along with them, he found what he came to later call an Urim and Thummim. Now,
0: oh, like alongside it.
1: Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay
1: happens with many things in Mormon origin stories they're inconsistent mm, okay. and unclear. Mm. So initially in 1833 in the first version of the Book of Commandments for the Mormon mm-hmm. Church, it doesn't say anything about Umim and Thummim mm. it just says that he found some kind of way to divine interpreters essentially to in order to divine and understand the language that was written on the plates because they weren't written in English okay.
0: Right, because they're written in celestial or whatever.
1: Or Egyptian or something, you know. 1835, all of a sudden, in the rewrites of the Doctrine and Covenants is when we get references to calling these interpreters, as it were, the Urim and Thummim. And the theory is that he was trying to connect it to the Bible to distance himself from like folk magic and witchy stuff, basically. Yeah, can't have that. Can't have that, right? And so it's kind of like if we call it something from that's actually referenced in the Bible, maybe that makes it seem a little bit less okay. suspicion and mm, witchy. Okay,
0: cool, 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 yeah. So
1: I'm just going to read to you Please do. from the Love Wikipedia it. entry here. So because, okay, this is the thing. It's all very sketchy, right? So he just mentions, oh, I got these interpreters. Like, this is how I understood the language is I got these interpreters. How indeed. And people are like, how did they work? And and no one no one explains exactly how they worked. So I have a couple quotes here. That I'm just I'm just going to read. So this is a quote from David Whitmer, uh, who was asked in 1855 the role of the interpreters in the translation of the Book of Mormon, and this is what he had to say: Joseph Smith used a stone called a seers stone. The interpreters having been taken away from him because of transgression. The interpreters were taken from Joseph after he allowed Martin Harris to carry away the 116 pages of the Book of Mormon as a punishment, but he was allowed to go on and translate by the use of a seer's stone, which he had, and which he placed in a hat, into which he buried his face, (laughs) stating to me and others that the original character appeared upon parchment and under it the translation in English." So so that's one version of the story. Is that like, yeah, he was given these Urim and Thummim stones, yeah. but then they were taken away from him, but he also used a different stone. And this stone, he would put into a hat and, and then bury his face in, in the hat. hat.
0: <laughs> and then <laughs> and he then would then see repeat, it.
1: Then he would see it. Wow. Now, Joseph Smith's version of the story.
0: Okay.
1: So allegedly, after he translated the Book of Mormon, then the angel took away the plates and the Urim and Thummim.
0: Okay, cool.
1: Another version of the story is he said that God gave him the Urum and Thummim when he was an inexperienced translator. Okay. Oh, and then once he learned. But then once he got experienced, then he didn't need them anymore. Oh, so
0: God gave him like a little Google Translate. <laughs> that he could use until he learned enough of the language he didn't need anymore. Okay. Now,
1: this whole time, I'm like... But what, how did it actually look? What did it look like? Right. Right? Now, J.C., you mentioned spectacles. Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ah. there's all these conflicting descriptions of what they looked like. And so, I just love this. Uh, How the interpreters were used in the translation is also unknown. Joseph Smith answered when asked on the particulars of translation, quote, it was not intended to tell the world all the particulars of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon.
2: Okay, that's okay. that's convenient. <laughs> it's, he's like,
1: I he's not, like, look, when I
0: came up with this, I did not plan to tell you the details. I did
1: not think this through enough is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. <laughs> so there's a whole table in the Wikipedia of all the different descriptions of the interpreters by different people by different people who are like, you know, people who are oh. Mormons, who are...
0: So, who are like, I saw them once.
1: Yes, basically. So, oh, so cool. there's there's a lot in this table. I'm just going to read you some highlights. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all for people who claim to be eyewitnesses, okay. right? Or some of them are not. But yeah. so the earliest known description from Martin Harris, he states that after the third visit from the same spirit in a dream, he proceeded to the spot, removed the earth, and there found the Bible together with a large pair of spectacles. Ah spectacles, spectacles. Yes. Okay. all right. there it is. So that's what he says. Now, yeah,
0: cool. It starts
1: to get a little more elaborate. It starts to evolve where it's not just spectacles, it's also spectacles like attached to a breastplate, huh? as well. Okay. Oh. So, I'm gonna read, this is, oh, this is another one from Martin Harris, Years Later, where he's got a little more Elaborate. Okay, good. Quote, The two stones set in a bow of silver were about two inches in diameter, perfectly round, and about five-eighths of an inch thick at the center, but not so thick at the edges where they came into the bow. They were joined by a round bar of silver, about three-eighths of an inch in diameter, and about four inches long, which, with the two stones, would make eight inches. The stones were white, like polished marble, with a few gray streaks. So he's developed a lot more detail. Okay,
0: yeah, I'm really trying to wrap my head around this. So we've got two circles that are two inches in diameter, and then a four-inch long bar. That just seems like they would end up very wide, like outside well, of your so, eyes. so yes, okay.
1: Yeah. So that is part of it. So now I'm hopping <laughs> down to William Smith. So he's not an eyewitness, but this is in 1921.
0: Is William Smith related to Joseph Smith? Yeah, I was
1: going to ask. Sounds like he probably could be. Okay,
0: is he like the next,
1: the lineage? Yeah, he yeah. was the eighth child. Uh, eighth child of eighth? Joseph Smith Sr. Yes. Mm. Well, Mormons, you know. Okay, yeah. fine. I guess they have a lot. <sighs> okay, so yes. Yeah, so he points out that they were much too large for Joseph, and he could only see through one at a time, using sometimes one and sometimes the other. Okay. By putting his head in a hat, what? or some dark object, what? it was not necessary to close one eye while looking through the stone with the other. Oh. In that way, sometimes when his eyes grew tired, he relieved them of the strain. He also said that the Urim and Thummim was attached to the breastplate by a rod, which was fastened at the outer shoulder edge of the breastplate and to the end of the silver bow. This rod was just the right length so that when the Urim and Thummim was removed from before the eyes, it would reach to a pocket on the left side of the breastplate where the instrument was kept when not in use by the seer. Okay. Okay.
0: I want this breastplate so bad. <laughs> I'm sure you do. With glasses
1: built in. Okay, I'm just
0: imagining, right? So you're wearing this cool breastplate that's got a glasses pocket on your left side. And then on the right side, there's like a bar that like like levers up and holds your glasses on. Uh-huh. So you can be like, oh, let me whip out my reading glasses. But they're like attached to your vest. That's awesome. And then you just kind of transformer style, like, you know, put them down and they just floop right into that pocket.
1: It's pretty fun. That's awesome. Now, just one last thing to share here is that in 1841, Mormon apostles Wilford Woodruff and George A. Smith confiscated several seer stones and grimoires from convert William Mountford in Staffordshire, England. The grimoires were destroyed and the seer stones were sent to Joseph Smith who examined the stones and stated that they were, quote, Urim and Thummim as good as ever was upon the earth, but they had been, quote, consecrated to devils. Oh,
2: got
0: it. Convenience. Oh, so these devils had gotten some, re- so he's like, these are legit seer stones, but these dudes are bad dudes.
2: But, but devils. devils got into them, yeah. Wow. Wow. Gracious. So there you go.
0: That's amazing. That's, That's
2: it. amazing.
1: <laughs> wow! Yeah. It just keeps
2: wow. going. Yeah, it really it just does. It really it keeps does. going just nonstop.
0: My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. I, I love it. That's a great note to end this bonus on. I can't wait to see what happens next week. It's just
2: all of this is so strange. Can I just say? Mm, oh, yeah. Yes. It's just a strange. The book in general, the big damn book, the Bible, is strange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It is truth. It is truth. It really is. But we're having a fun time reading it. We hope you're having a fun time listening and reading along with us. And we will see you next week for more Ezra. Thanks, everyone.